You are listening to NASA in Silicon Valley, episode 34. NASA is pretty much divided into two main parts. On one side, you have the technical and scientific missions, and on the other side, you have a large group of people in what we call mission support. On the mission support side, you have a mix of IT, human resources, legal, and various other professionals that help NASA accomplish its mission. Not to mention communications professionals, including myself and our audio engineer sitting in this room, that make this very podcast possible. Uh, as a part of the communications team, our guest today is Jerry Cullen, a software developer at NASA Ames who helped create the official NASA app on iOS, Android, and the Amazon Fire platforms. We talk about his early days at NASA, connecting machine shop systems, and how that eventually turned into working on websites, social media, and now a mix of apps on smartphones and video streaming devices in your living room. So here is Jerry Cullen. For the folks listening, this is slightly different because normally when we jump into these conversations, I don't know the person at all. Uh, but Jerry, we go way back. So, yeah, but we work together every day. <laughs> so, so we'll still give the the standard opening uh, question. So, tell us a little bit about yourself. How you got to NASA in Silicon Valley? How did you how, how did you join? Um, so I grew up here in the uh, Bay Area, about an hour away from NASA Ames, and when I was graduating from uh, my university, I was packing up all my stuff and happened to swing by the computer science department and up on the bulletin board there was a advertisement <laughs> for a job here at uh, NASA Ames and I thought, wow, that's cool, you know, and what great timing. I'm heading back down to the Bay Area anyway, I'm packing up all my stuff. So I uh, gave him a call and came down here and interviewed and it was actually for a um, system administrator spot. Okay in the um, machining and fabrication division here at uh, NASA Ames. Okay. And so I ended up getting the job and pretty much starting that next week, you know, and not having a place anywhere to live here close to the Bay Area or anything. So I, as soon as I got out of that interview, I started looking for apartments and everything. Started that next week and um, became the system administrator for them. Um, Back then, there wasn't a big like agency contract. For I, all I was going to say, what, what was the? You think of the IT infrastructure that is now, right? Like, what was that? Were you building it from scratch? Or building how? it pretty much from scratch. So every organization built their own IT infrastructure on their own. You know, we didn't have okay. a big contract. Each organization, each division, each directorate had their own system administrators. Oh wow! Bought, we all bought like you know we our own computers. We all hooked them up to the network ourselves. We all, you know, patched them ourselves. We installed all the, bought and installed all the applications on them. Um, wow, I'm sure anybody who's in an IT systems administrator, you're making them itch right now. Yeah, so this is the, this, <laughs> keep in mind, is the early 90s, okay? okay. So um, not everyone had a computer on their desk. Not everyone, you know, yeah. laptops weren't a thing yet. The Actually, the World Wide Web wasn't a thing yet. You yeah. Know? So this is, you know, Pre all that, so before anyway. even America Online, there's like prodigy <laughs> well, that was, times. But that was the way to get online at the time, is you know <laughs> they sent you that three and a half inch or whatever five and a quarter inch disc to your house, you know, to nice. get online, and it wasn't you know really the the World Wide Web, but okay. So anyway, that's what I was hired to do, and so also what they were looking for is someone that could come up with some solutions for some problems that they had. So they had all these CNC machines 
but not really a, a good way to get there. So they would, you know, do the CAD drawings for whatever they wanted to make, okay. but and they didn't have like the the CAM software or the way to get the 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 process file over to the CNC machine, you know. Okay. Uh, without having to like manually somehow get it on there, you know, with back I think back in the old days they used, you know, cards or whatever it was to get it onto there. And so I came up with these solutions of like, okay, well, let's have, you know, instead of just this one area where they're doing all the the computer-aided drawing and machining, you know, we started coming up with like, let's start putting computers at each one of these workstations, you know, by the CNC machines and let's get those on the network. And what are the CNC machines? What exactly is that? It's for, you know, it's turning your, whatever your idea is, that CAD drawing into actually a piece of, you know, machined metal all okay, right so you know so like if like if, if they needed a flight model for one of the wind tunnels or something like that you know they would actually machine it there in the machine shop or if they needed like you know whatever the engineer wanted they could machine it there at the shop and they also i worked in that same division there was a fabrication division where they did the big heavy metal fabrication okay. we had a a, um, a model shop where they did a lot of woodwork and graphite and composite work also so i imagine a lot of this is like stuff that was traditionally done by hand or by eye and you're yeah. at the beginning of when they're starting to digitize exactly. and set up stations and actually have this all computer right. assisted right yeah. so we um, started so i started developing the solutions of like you know how could we you know actually automate some of this you know how could we oh, wow. And so we, uh, you know, I came up with this wiring to all these. So we got these new CNCs and these new controllers, and we started wiring them all together onto a central server. And then eventually, all the guys on the shop floor had their own laptops and could create the computer-aided machining files, and then wirelessly send it right to their their CNC machine and begin the machining of the part. Yeah. And so, did you kind of go from setting up these? I mean, this is the really like hands-on. You're building stuff, but you're—it's like the IT coming the up background. with like solutions. Yeah, so looking yeah. at what's available off the shelf and what we okay. could, you know, put in place. So coming up with solutions, and so the, it was the, the job started off was just being, you know, the system administrator for basically the day-to-day, you know, systems that people use, and then it evolved into, you know, Helping. coming up with solutions for the actually the shop floor. And I imagine at a certain point, somebody from NASA headquarters or even at NASA Ames like stepped back and was like. We can't have everybody building their own IT system yeah. on their own. We need to centralize or, you know, because I'd imagine even those systems talking to each other would have to be a nightmare. Yeah. So uh, and, and so that's how it kind of evolved, you know, so everyone was and back in those days, we even had, ran our own email server, if you can believe that. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so, yeah, everyone started to it started to get to that point where. After a while, there became like these bigger contracts, you know, or, or bigger organizations that, you know, started to, to do some of this work, okay. you know, and then our job, my job evolved into more managing like more of the back end, the servers okay. and the, kind of the, the specialized solutions that we had for our organization. That entire job field just changed constantly. exponentially. Yeah, it was just constantly like in transition. Even when you get to the point when everybody does have a computer at their terminal, then the, the job of what you need you to do kind of changes. So it's not like, you know, IT support, it's the servers, it's the back end or managing teams of contractors because exactly. it just got too big. Yeah. It did get too big. Yeah. And then, you know, then the, the whole IT security thing kicked Absolutely. in. Absolutely. Yeah. So managing all that, making sure everything's secure. It's it very complicated very quickly, I imagine. Yeah. 
And so then when you're working, you're building the systems and you're starting on the back end, um, did you eventually start moving into just the overall NASA.gov websites? I'm guessing that's how you kind of... So um, I, I did that probably for, gosh, like... 14 years, you know, worked in, worked in the fabrication and machining area, okay. doing all the IT support for that area. And then I had an opportunity to move over to strategic communications and to kind of change what I was doing, go more into the management and more into the building of solutions and not mm -hmm. so much of the hands-on system administration work. Okay, and it's also different from like helping the teams build the things that they're trying to build. Yeah. Um, for whether it's for research or the engineers, and then going more towards like public facing. Exactly. You know, how does NASA tell its story? I guess. Exactly, and at that time, social media was was a new thing. Um, oh wow. So we didn't have really any social media accounts when I first started for the public affairs division, and we were looking mm -hmm. at starting those up. You know, and what are the things that are people are using and how can we engage with the public and so also getting involved with building out like the websites that we are public facing websites here for for Ames and some of the missions that we supported I'd so. imagine that throughout the 2000s you know those early 2000s that it started as you know having nasa.gov as a website that the public could just go and access and grab information and then by the end of that decade morphing into hey, let's have a Facebook account, let's have a Twitter account. Exactly, and at that time, um, we actually needed specialized people to to build those pages. You know, we, oh, we wow. didn't have the, the easy, you know, uh, content management system that anybody, you know, could build a page using a form. You needed to know a lot of HTML to like okay. actually get everything, anything posted onto the uh, web, so. And then I'm guessing not only, I mean, I'm guessing within NASA itself, was it every NASA center had like kind of its exactly. own? And then yeah. even within Ames, I'm sure every so, division had its own version of it. Yeah, so we had one specialized person that really knew how to pu <laughs> publish the pages, you know, and so oh, wow. then all the public affairs people would write the stories and or the features and send it to that person and they would be the one that actually got it up onto the web. You know, they would build the page to actually publish. And so then it started moving into being, um, you know, like opening up the social media pages. Um, how does how did that kick off? Because I, if I understand it correctly, Ames was one of the early was one of the early adopters, I guess. We were. Yeah. So we actually hired a couple guys um, and under like myself and um, our management that, you know, hey, we needed to bring in some people that actually had some experience with, you know, this new thing, this social media, you know, yeah. and what, what we need to do to engage people on that. So we um, hired a couple guys and they started coming up with these ideas of like, you know, here's what we should be doing. Here's the, you know, the things that we should be uh -huh. focusing on. And how here's the platforms are different. How the I guess. platforms are different and how you can engage people on those platforms and what other new ideas do they have, you know, for us engaging the public? And that's basically how the, the NASA app idea came up. This is one oh, of really? those, one of those guys, you know, said, and he was, you know, here to, to do that. He was there to like help us, you know, keep the web page updated and to uh, keep our s social media accounts that we had just started, you know, yeah. filled with new content. And he had this idea like, hey, you know, the, the NASA.gov website we have on mobile right now is not good. It's not good at uh -huh. all. You know, it's a bunch of text, basically. Yeah. And you basically have to know that you can't go to www.nasa.gov. You need to go to mobile.nasa.gov back then. And you get yeah. this and it's really, really awful looking page that just had a <laughs> bunch of text links. It had one low res image on it. 
and it wasn't you know very engaging at all you know and and smartphones were just were just starting to come out back then you know i think the iphone had just come out about a year or two ahead of that Mm -hmm. and you know it kind of had made a change where people were like wow look at these cool mobile devices that i can have in my pocket now instead of this flip phone you know that i can actually browse the web on and have these native apps and so he had this idea. It was a really simple idea to start off with. It was just, let's bring um, the, the astronomy picture of the day, what we call APOD. Okay. Have that image on there. Have a countdown clock for whatever the next launch is going to be. It, was it still during the shuttle time? When yes, this, this was still during the shuttle time. So, so whenever the next shuttle launch was going to be or whether the next whatever the next big you know uh, launch was going to be for NASA. So have that countdown clock on there, the astronomy picture of the day. And I believe his idea was also to have uh, um, the, the latest NASA tweets there because that was the hot thing. That was the hot it was, you know, it just social started. media. It just started. You know, NASA had a Twitter account, so let's have all their tweets on the same application so you could access that all in one native app. That's funny because I, I remember back to those times when it was looking at mobile web version versus like actually doing an app. And especially at that time, like nowadays, mobile websites look really cool. Yeah. But even back then, it was like there was certain functionality that you just had to, you had to build it from scratch. You made an application. And so this was the very first NASA right. app for the iPhone. I'd imagine that's yeah, what Yeah, there was on. no such thing as like a responsive design website, you know, yeah. that, that could scale to whatever device you were using back then, you know. So if you wanted something really cool and something feature rich that, you know, the user could, you know, use their fingers to swipe to the next thing or to, yeah. you know, use uh, big, big giant galleries of like thumbnails. None of that was available on a website at that time, you know. Um, the, the, well, you, maybe you could do it with Flash, but then Flash didn't work on and Flash didn't uh, work on iPhones. Uh, didn't work on you know on your on your mobile device. So that's right. So anyway, so the idea was, hey, let's do uh, an app. And so he presented that to our management, and they thought, well, that's a great idea, but we don't have any budget to do it. You know, <laughs> of so course. so he ended up, you know. Um, coming to myself and say, and, and it was myself and another, uh, our system administrator, John Freitas at that time, yeah. and, and asked us, hey, can, can we, could we do this? You know, we have management's approval, we just don't have, really have the funds to do it. Can we build it ourselves? Can we build it ourselves, <laughs> you know, in whatever spare time we have, you know, and then oh, wow. present that to them, you know, once we get a, a beta working, you know, and that's how it all started. And we're like, yeah, we think that you, you have a great idea here. Um, Let's expand on that, you know? Okay. And so we're like, just instead of one image, what if we did a gallery of images, okay. you know? What if we did all the astronomy pictures of a day in a thumbnail view that people could click on and swipe through and see all that? And we also have this great collection of NASA images of what we call the image of the day. How about we had that as a gallery too, you know, of those thousands of images on there? And what if instead of just like a, a, you know a featured mission or just a count a clock, what if we listed all the missions and yeah. gave people an easy way to learn about each one of those missions? Because there wasn't at that time really an easy way to find a list of all the missions and and a, and a short summative of what that mission was, you mm -hmm. know, and all the stuff about that mission. And what other things can we do? Maybe instead of just this one NASA Twitter account, what if we took you know the other ones that are starting to pop up here? So each of these yeah, centers, every are, center, every mission started having their own Twitter. They all account. started having their own at that time, you know, and it was it was crazy how fast they were popping up at that yeah. time. You know, everybody, like you said, was starting to come up with a new Twitter account. So what if we brought all those together into one app, you know, along mm -hmm. with all that other information? 
and you know put that all together in a really rich user interface you know this could be really something cool you know and so that's what we started working on and 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 developing so well and one of the cool things about even building that stuff here i mean Cupertino is, you know, a 10-minute, <laughs> exactly. 15-minute, depending on traffic. But actually, back then, there probably wasn't any traffic. <laughs> right. But, but, like, going to Apple or even going to next door to Google, like, talking to these companies, they're right here. Did that help at all? It, at it least did. have, like, a culture of people working on this stuff? It did a lot. Because what we ran into is that no one had ever done this before. Not in NASA, and nobody had done this, and pretty much that we could find. In the find, federal government, In really. the federal government at all. There was no other apps that we could find out there from the federal government, okay? So, wow. how do we go about this? So, so when we started looking at this, we you know downloaded the developer tools and each one of these things you know, like to create an app store account or to get the developer tools developer tools <laughs> that you, it required uh, you to uh, agree on a terms of service. Okay, okay, that's right. We as the federal government, we as NASA had never agreed or could I could not agree as NASA to these terms of service. That's right, because you think as an individual, you kind of read, the, well, or you don't read through it. You scroll through, you just click <laughs> you just accept. Click accept. Yeah. Like you're literally accepting on behalf of the federal government, on the behalf of an agency. That gets into a whole different level. That gets into a whole different level. So now I have to go, wait, I can't accept you this. You can't just as, do this I on your own. I can't accept this as NASA. I'm an employee of NASA, but I can't accept this for all of NASA. So then I ha- we had to go, Wow. This is a, this is a whole legal. new realm. We need to send this to our legal department, okay? And so we send all these, you know, the, these legal terms of service and to our legal department, and they're like, wow, this is a big thing. We're going to have to negotiate this with Apple because we can't agree to some of these terms, you know? Okay. And so they first, you know, sent it up to NASA headquarters legal department, and they're like, well how about you guys work on this? You're right there in the Silicon Valley. You can talk to them. You could talk to them. We can get these things hashed out. And this is what really took us a long time, you know, is getting all of these hurdles through. It's not building it. It's getting the approvals to make it happen. Yeah, and there was no, like, end user. So we needed an end user license agreement written also for it that we could post up onto the store. All these things had to happen, you know, as as we're we're developing this app. If we want to release it, we got to get all these legal things taken care of first. I'm sure that even kind of paved the way for all of the future apps, all the future development, even social media accounts. I'm sure that, like, kind of set the precedent or set the standard of how you get this stuff done. It did. So we started our, our, you know, we were the first ones to open an app store account, you know, once we got all that (laughs) stuff hashed out, you know, and so then all of the other programs, projects, centers that wanted to develop an app now already had that done for them, you know, and so they already had all that hashed out, you know, and it was all approved. And so... Basically, we've kind of paved the way for the whole agency and developing the apps. And then, so how did it morph after that? I'd imagine after you've established like the the NASA app for the iPhone. Yeah. Then did it go into here's an Android version, here's the Fire or phone so, version? Or? So the crazy thing is, we had no idea, you know, how popular it would be. You know, we yeah. didn't. We we knew that you know Apple was selling a lot of iPhones, um, <laughs> but it was it was really limited at time. I mean, the iPhone was only available on AT and T. You know. That's right, um, yeah. It wasn't available across all platforms. It didn't um, even have 3G that first most iteration. Most people still didn't have a smartphone. You know, we yeah. did not have 3G exactly. So the 3G iPhone was, you know, was coming out. It wasn't a- available yet. You know, so people, the only way you had high-speed internet was to somehow hook it to Wi-Fi. When, mm, you were out right. on, when you were out away from Wi-Fi, you know, you had a kind of a slow connection. So we had to really optimize everything on the app to load fast, even when they didn't have a high-speed connection okay. at that time. 
but we didn't have any idea how many people would download it. So, you know, we thought, well, great, if we can get like 5,000 people to download this thing in the first week, we're going to be stoked. We're going to be really happy if that happens, you know. So after clearing all these legal hurdles and getting it released, you know, and the first day, it was just amazing, okay. Our back end is getting swamped. We look at the download numbers the next day and over 30,000 people, you know, that first day had downloaded. (laughs) That first day, you know, and then within the the first, I think, 21 days, and it had just grown. Like the 30,000 the first day, and then it was like 80,000 the next day. Oh, wow. And then by, you know, I think three weeks in, it was over a million downloads, and we're like, oh my gosh, you know, this is getting huge. And I'd imagine there's like, if that Venn diagram of, people who are early adopters grabbing the newest, the newest, latest gadget, and then people interested in NASA. I'm pretty sure there's an overlap there. Yeah. yeah. And so then just by, yeah, I'm sure even comparing that to the web hits in results versus how many people are actually downloading this thing to their phone. Yeah. It, it just And so, crazy. yeah, we could look at, so we, we were, we and we still do have all the back end here at Ames, you know, for, for the NASA app. And so we could look at, you know, people aren't just downloading, but they're really, really using it a lot. You know, they're, they're how long are they using it? How yeah. long they're using it a lot? Look at all the bandwidth. So the people are, are engaged for a long time on the app, you know, and we're like, oh, this is outstanding. You know, we got to do more on this. You know, mm-hmm. so what can we do next? So the next thing was, well, the iPad came out. You know, now instead okay. of this little small mobile device, we have a tablet, and the sales were outstanding on that. You know. We've got to bring this to the bigger, you know, iPad yeah. at that time. So we didn't want to just, you know, port over the the, the NAS app as it was. Yeah. We wanted to, you know, do more with it. And by that time, it was almost a year later now that we're we're working on the iPad app. We'd already done a lot of things and added a lot new fe- a lot of new features to the NAS app itself. You know, we'd added some cool things like sighting opportunities for the ISS, mm-hmm. and That's we right. used some of the hardware on the device. You know, so people it would automatically get your location. Mm-hmm. It would show you all the passes for your location. It had a compass on there, so you could point your phone and see exactly right. see exactly where the like, you know, where am I supposed the, to where, look? For where the, am I supposed to look? for this little dot going across the sky, you know? And so we added that feature and a lot of other cool things, you know? But then for the iPad, we're like, now we got this big tablet, what can we do? So we came out with, and at that time, there wasn't like these universal apps that ran on both. It wasn't an app that ran, you know, both on iPhone and iPad. Everyone was doing like a separate iPad app because you couldn't really merge the two and they were calling them like HD. So we came up with like the NASA app HD, HD. (laughs) high definition for this bigger screen, right? And so it had this solar system interface on the, on the, uh, on there that had showed all the planets and the, and the objects in our, our um, universe, and the user could click on each one of these and learn about that object. So they could learn about you know Mars, or they could learn about Jupiter, and what are the missions that NASA has exploring that particular part of our universe. And then at the bottom, then we had those other features that the that the NASA app for you know iPhone had. It had still links to um, all the images, all the videos. Um, and then now we also had at that same kind of time period mm-hmm. had been pushing NASA headquarters to come up with a stream that we could use on mobile for NASA television. Okay, yeah, because NASA TV has been around for a while since like 
you know. Yeah, but we had no way to for a mobile device to access that. You yeah, because it's not like it can. It, like the the phone doesn't have a satellite dish to bring in the broadcaster feed. Exactly. And this is probably the super like the early days of even streaming TV. Exactly, because no one really had the bandwidth for that. You know, on these early devices, they didn't have the three G connections for for watching a live stream and yeah. and the whole HTTP live streaming of of um of was brand new. You know, so we wrote a proposal to NASA headquarters saying, hey. We really need to get a, a live stream that we can play on an on an iOS device. You know, at that time it was called iPhone I, uh, iPhone OS. Okay. And so we wrote a proposal, and um, I think they were already kind of planning it too. But this was kind of a push that they needed. They, uh, we have this big, huge audience out there that you know can access you know NASA TV on their mobile device, and we can integrate it with our app. You know, so. Oh, wow. And so we so we added that, and now we had the ability to play it on the iPad too. You know, so not only really you had the live stream, had the live stream on this version that came out. You know, so oh cool. So then, how long after that did it springboard into all these other platforms? It just then then I mean around that not too much later than you know the Android. Yeah, so Android was just out. starting to come out at that same time. You know, about a year or so after that, we had released the iPhone version. Android had started to gain a lot of steam. You know. And uh, if we looked at all the social media posts, every time we, we announced like a new feature or new something for the NASA app on iOS, mm-hmm. we'd get comments. hundreds and hundreds, maybe even thousands of comments of, when are you going to do an Android version? When are you going to do an Android version? <laughs> of course. You know? and so we're like, we got to do an Android version. you know. So we um, still, you know, it was just a very, very small team, real, real small resources, do this on a time available basis. You yeah. know? But we, you know, we had a passion and we really wanted to Absolutely. do it, you know, so we uh, developed and it was, a, you know, from scratch, you know, developed a, a native Android application, you know, so that came out right after, you know, probably about six months after the iPad version. We did a, our okay. first first native Android version. Yeah, and I think there was also a Kindle or an Amazon version. Yeah, so then we did one for the Kindle Fire. And then now lately about, uh, I guess it's about a year ago, we moved into the whole digital media streaming devices, you know, so. Yes, so, because like for, for the longest time, you know, it's like, here, you can follow everything that NASA does on your phone. Now it's like if you're sitting in your living room. And so Yeah, so everyone's, you know, got these devices where they can stream all this great content, you know, onto their big screen televisions. Mm-hmm. How cool would it be to have a NASA app on there, you know, for not only NASA television on on their big screen, but how about these gorgeous images the in a full HD resolution, you know, up on there and all these on-demand great videos that we have and all this content, let's bring it to the to their television. So we first came out with the Apple TV version, you know, yeah, and released that. And that was and, in 2016. Yeah, that was like summer of 2016, I yeah. believe. And then we now released the Amazon Fire TV and Fire TV Stick version for for that platform. Excellent. So, yeah, and I just remember from looking at some of the social media postings, you know, it seems every time one of these apps come out, especially even when the Apple TV one, it was like, when are you going to get one for Roku? When are you going to get one for for Amazon Fire? When are you going to get one for my, you know, my television or PlayStation or you know TiVo or whatever? So. Exactly. So, like I said, we have a small team, but we're always looking at how can we bring this to the most people possible. You yeah, know, yeah. so and then it's a balance. You know, we also have these versions that are out there that we have to update and maintain. I was going to say because it's no joke. Once you put an app out there, you know, there's all these. 
every time there's an, a software update or there's bugs or issues. Yeah, and the, these operating systems change the look and feel, the design, the features always are changing on iOS or Android. So we can't just let the apps go stale on those devices. You know, we got to constantly. It's not a one-time thing. Yeah. It's not. A, it's a constant update, you know, where we want to keep it looking great. We want to keep the latest features available on there, you know, and make it so it runs on those later versions of the operating system. So it's also, you know, it's a lot of maintenance on those, but it's also looking at, you know, what new fe possible features could we bring and what new platforms are available that you know we could possibly do. So for anybody listening who's interested in like getting these apps, whether it's for your tablet or your phone, obviously you can go to the storefronts um, to and just type in NASA and find them that way. We also have nasa.gov slash apps where you can just get that whole list of all the different features and all the different things. And I'm sure Jerry, for any any of the future things you're working on, will end up popping up on that page as well. Some people have the question of like, what's the next one? I'm, I'm sure it's that generic, <laughs> we have nothing to announce at this time. That's exactly it. We have nothing to announce at this time, but we're always looking at bringing the app to as many people as possible. Uh, excellent. So for folks, if you have any questions for Jerry on you know starting the app, we are on Twitter at NASA Ames. We are using the hashtag NASA Silicon Valley. If anybody has any questions, feel free to just ping us there and we'll just do some back and forth and, and figure that all out. But thanks for coming over, Jerry. This is awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me.